Amen. Good morning, Grace Point. God bless you for being here today. And uh, wasn't the worship awesome again this morning? Man, so good, so good. I want to talk to you today about trusting God when we don't understand. How many does that sound like something you want to hear about? Trusting God when we don't understand. Understand what? Understand anything. Understand Him. Understand people. Understand circumstances. And uh, I think this is something that any time this subject is, is talked about, there's always people that are right in the middle of that. First Samuel 30, verse 1 through 6, and I want to read this, and we'll start here, and then we'll finish here. And uh, it's in the life of David, King David. But this is actually before he has been declared king. He's been anointed king, but he hadn't been received as the king of Israel, of all of Israel yet. And it says in verse 1 that now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag, attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire. And Their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, uh, Ahinam the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. And David was greatly, notice this, greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. That's who wants to be in leadership? Hallelujah. First thing they do is blame the leader, right? And so the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David, notice his response. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Amen. So let's pray. Father, we do love you and we pray for the revelation, the illumination of your spirit that our minds be renewed so that true transformation can take place and that, that God, even when we don't understand, we can trust you. We can, we can trust in your character, in your nature, in who you are and hold steadfast. That there, even as David did, we can strengthen ourselves in our God. And Lord, we give you praise, honor, and glory for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Shake somebody's hand, smile at them real big. Tell them welcome to Grace Point. Amen. I've kind of talked on this subject a little bit. We, uh, a couple of weeks ago we talked about and we looked at uh, the life of Peter the Apostle and just kind of the ups and downs and the things that he went through. And today I want to look at uh, really two men's lives. I want to look at Two men that are real familiar. One is King Saul and the other one is David. And uh, I don't know, you know, I think there's people like me that uh, I've had this thought a lot of times, man. I just wish life was more like a sitcom. And by that, I mean, uh, at least when I was growing up, I grew up on a, a steady diet of some real classic uh, sitcoms. The Brady Bunch, uh, Happy Days. And my favorite, still my favorite, the Andy Griffith show. Um, and, you know, even though the, 
the uh, plots were so uh, predictable, yet to me they were so satisfying. And, uh, you know, every week, you remember when you had to wait a week for the show to come back on? Uh, I mean, remembers when you had two or three channels, that was it, you know. But um, even though, you know, we knew what was going to happen, really, uh, those familiar characters every week, they experienced uh, unexpected problems and silly uh, scenarios and situations that they got into. And then right before the end of the, of the uh, show that week, the Fonz would fix it. Uh, Sheriff Andy Taylor would come up with a solution, or Alice, the housekeeper on the Brady Bunch, would solve the problem for the kids, and then everything was great again. And they did all of that in less than 30 minutes. <laughs> Amen? And, um, you know, and then even though it was so predictable, we couldn't wait for next week to watch them do it all over again. And I have said, and I've heard my grown sons at least say, man, I wish that uh, we could move to Mayberry. Wish it was like that. Wish it was that simple, uh, you know, that benign, that, that loving, uh, that pure. Uh, wish it was like that. But uh, that's not the way it is, is it? And uh, your life doesn't play out like a sitcom. Um, it, you, would, you know, if you write your own story, uh, it wouldn't be the story that you've lived, no doubt. There's, there's, been, there's been turns that you didn't expect. There's been ups and downs, and there's been things uh, that have happened. And, uh, but, you know, and we would say, you know, if I was God, I'd have done it different. Or if I was God, I'd have done this. And, and aren't we glad that we're not God because there would probably be a few less people on the planet if we were God. But as much as we think we know, uh, the reality is this, we're not God, and we don't know the best, and we, we really don't. And one of the keys, I guess, is just for us to accept um, the limitations of our human life, of us, that we are uh, finite, we are limited. And, and, and we, I think we think, and we want God to deal with us, and he does deal with us as individuals, but he doesn't deal with us as individuals who are not part of the whole. Does that make sense? So God is dealing. God, you understand, lives outside of time. God created time. And there will come a moment where time, the Bible says, shall be no more. So time was, is an interruption, really, for us in eternity. But God exists outside of time. That's why some people find eternity and the concept of forever hard to understand and I know it is if we try to figure that out with a watch. But if you remove time, all that you're left with is eternity. The only reason you're growing old is because you're wearing a watch. Take away the watch, you live forever. Right? And I'm talking about taking away time. Uh, you know, that's why no, no disease will affect you. Because there will be no disease. But I'm, the point is this, uh, cancer can't kill you. It takes cancer plus time to kill you. Every disease has to have time on this side, or, or that disease couldn't take your life. Y'all just let me know if I say anything interesting this morning. But we, we, we can't know all that has come before us, and we sure don't know all that is out ahead of us. And so uh, we, we, we're, we're not God. But God can see all of that. 
And uh, God is like a master storyteller. He's, he's crafting an epic uh, story, which includes each of us, but there are no bit parts. There's no insignificant uh, players in this cast. Everybody's important. He'll never abandon us, and he's working, according to Romans eight twenty eight, all things together for our good because we love him. Amen. God's not the cause of all things. He didn't say just the good things, but all things are working together for our good. So when you start uh, trying to, to trust God, uh, you're trusting not in what you can see as far as circumstances and situations, but you're trusting in the person, God. And until you get that, then everything else is going to, to be chaotic in our lives. And so when you start looking at people, I'm so glad the Bible includes all these stories. And this is one reason that I know God wrote the Bible, because if man wrote it, he would have left a lot of the stuff that's in the Bible out because it doesn't look that good and it doesn't read that good. I mean, we've got examples of all kind of sins in the Bible that, that great leaders committed. And if man was writing it, he would have surely left that out, you know, so that we could put our best foot forward in this religion that we're making up here. But God puts in the good, the bad, and the ugly so that we can see it. And that gives folks like me hope. Amen. I don't know about you. But I want to just kind of tell you the story, if you allow me, because it would be too many verses to try to turn to. And I promise you all this is in the Word of God. But how many remembers the prophet Samuel, greatest prophet in the Old Testament, no doubt. And Samuel has been uh, instructed by God. Israel has cried out for a king. They want to be like the other nations, and they don't want to be led by the priesthood and the judges, but they want a king. And so uh, God, is, God is answering that request, and he has uh, sent Samuel to anoint a man uh, named Saul to be the king of Israel, the first king. But, and, and Saul has been told that this is going to happen by Samuel. And then when the actual official moment comes for Samuel the prophet to take the oil and pour on the head of Saul, who is to be the first king of Israel, uh, they can't find him. The New King James Version said they actually find him hiding in the equipment. I don't know what kind of equipment it was. One translation says that uh, Saul was hiding in the baggage, with the baggage. Um, uh, King James says he was hiding in the stuff. So you figure out what it was. But the point is not what he was hiding in. The point is that he was hiding. Now, why was he hiding? He was not hiding because he did not want to be king. It tells us that he was hiding because he was afraid that once Samuel actually brought him before the people, listen to me, the people would reject him. And right there, before he's ever had the oil poured on his head, we see a character flaw in this man. And this flaw in his character, in his makeup. However it got there, this flaw will cause him a lot of problems in his kingship. And actually, it will cost him his kingship and the legacy that he should be able to leave to his sons, but not so. And so he's hiding there. And he's made king. Uh, he's only been a king now for one year. And after being the king of Israel for just one year, uh, king Saul violates the separation of king and priest by offering the sacrifice on behalf of the uh, of Samuel, the prophet. He offers a, uh, a burnt sacrifice. Now Samuel was to do that, and Samuel said he was coming to do that, but he was late. 
But what Saul didn't realize and what we don't realize a lot of times in our life, there's things going on more than what we can see. And this was actually a test for Saul. And Saul becomes uh, impatient really because of the people. There's that word again, the people. So in 1 Samuel chapter 13, uh, if they, I don't know if I can get it up fast enough, but 1 Samuel 13 and verse 11, listen to what it says. Um, Samuel comes and uh, the, he says, what have you done to Saul? And Saul says, when I saw that the people, everybody say people, were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines are gathering at Michmash, in other words, there, there's, there's, there's enemies gathering, he said, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal. I've not made supplication to the Lord. And look what he says. Therefore, I felt what? I felt compelled. That's how church people talk. So many church people have been killed of feel-led poisoning. They feel led. They feel led to do crazy, stupid stuff, and they blame it on God so you won't say nothing against it. Well, I feel led to do this, or I feel compelled to do this, or I feel like the Lord wants me to do this. And, and when you're hearing it, I've been pastoring now a long time, over 27 years, and, and when you're hearing it, it's the dumbest stuff you've ever heard. But when they splash God's name over it, then they, you know, then you're not, you know, I mean, who would you be to touch it if God told me? You know, you never heard God in 10 years, but all of a sudden now you can hear God tell you to do this stupid thing. Where you been for the 10 years? If you can hear God this good, why didn't you tell us something he was saying? Oh, y'all don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. And so here, this is how it goes. I feel compelled. Remember when, uh, I always love these stories in the Bible. Like when, remember when uh, Moses is up on the mountain? Remember that? And he's getting the commandments. So uh, he leaves uh, Aaron in charge. And uh, so when Moses comes down, they've got a golden calf made, and they're worshiping it. Remember that? And so when Moses confronts his brother and says, what are you doing? He, he said, he said and it, basically what he's saying is, you know, don't knock this. This is God. He said, and this is actually what it says in the Bible. That's why I know God wrote the Bible. Because he said that we just threw the gold in the fire, in the furnace, and out came this golden calf. That's what he said. And yet there's verses that said that Aaron formed it with his own hands. But he wanted to make it sound supernatural to Moses. Again, that's how church people do things. They, they, they talk about, well, God did this. All I know is, you know, the Lord's in it. All I know is the Lord told me to do it, really. And it violates how many commandments of God, but yet God told you to do it. Okay. All I'm telling you is, see, what caused Saul to make this kind of foolish decision? He, what did he say? I saw the people scattering, and I saw the enemy gathering. And I've told leaders this all my life. I've told them that this is the two times that you'll make the biggest mistakes in your life. When you see, when, you know, you, you, you don't see, you know, God doing what you want to in your timing, the delay, and then you see the activity of the enemy. And, 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 and as humans, we want to fix it. We want to do something. We don't like waiting. We don't like waiting on our burger in the drive-thru. We don't like waiting for the red light to become green again. Especially when people are on the cell phone in front of you when it does become green and won't move. 
And then you blow the horn to wake them up and get them off the cell phone, and then they wave at you with one finger out the side window. This is called driving in America. Right? Build your faith every day. But why, why did he make such a foolish decision? Because we don't like to wait. But, it, but God wanted to see if he would wait, but he wouldn't. And, it, and so what he says is says that, that we, I felt compelled, and I, off, I went ahead and offered the burnt offering. Verse 13, and Samuel said to Saul, you have done a foolish thing. You've, you've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But things are going to change now because of what you did. It's not what God wanted, but you made a decision. And it's going to affect your life. And he says, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept the word of the Lord that he commanded you. That's, you know, things changed. That's not what God wanted, but we make decisions, and it affects things in our life. And so here we go now. Nine years later, nine years later, God had commanded Saul to go with the army of Israel and to wipe out uh, the Amalekites. To not, not to take the king captive, but to wipe them out. Don't bring them back to Israel. And so what does, what does he do? He doesn't obey the word of the Lord again. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and in verse 24, uh, he's coming back. He's got the king of uh, Agag, the ruler of the, the Amalekites, in chains. So he's parading him. Uh, he didn't destroy all the animals, so they kept the best of the, the animals. God told him not to do that. And the prophet uh, Samuel is coming to meet him. King Saul greets him and says, Blessed are you, you know, I've kept the word of the Lord today. And he said, you, de- you have? Well, what's this sound of sheep bleeding that I hear in my ear and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? In other words, if you've kept the word of the Lord then why am I picking up on this right here? And why do I see King Ahag still alive and well in chains? He said, I have fully obeyed the Lord. He says, you have not. He rebukes him and tells him that the kingdom is going to be taken from his sons and now from him. And in verse 24, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because, look what he, why? Because what? I feared who? The people and obeyed their voice. Now, why am I emphasizing that? Because so many of us, listen to me, if you're not careful, I'm talking about people listening to me right now, you make decisions based on it because you fear the people. You fear the people on your job. You fear the people that live in your house. You fear the people. You are so desperate to get people to like you, to love you, to accept you, that you'll make decisions that are foolish when it comes into the plan of God that he has for your life. Now, in verse 1 of the next chapter, 1 Samuel 16 and 1, the Lord just moves on with his plan. And so the Lord now says to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Now Saul, uh, you know, had been rejected, but Samuel was still weeping over him. And he said, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel. Now God didn't reject Saul the man but he rejected his leadership as king. You've got to be able to distinguish that. And he tells him to fill your horn with oil and go, and I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And we know this story. Most of us do. How that the prophet goes there, and he goes to all the sons uh, of Jesse, 
And Jesse assembles them because he knows one of his sons is going to be the next king of Israel. And he's so proud. The prophet comes. He looks over his sons. There's seven of them there. And he says, he is, do you, it, this is not it. God says that none of these are the king of Israel. And he's confused for a moment. And he says, do you have any more sons? And then he goes, well, he's kind of had to be embarrassed. Well, I got, a, I got one more son, the eighth son. He's out in the uh, field watching over a few sheep. He says, go get him. The prophet says, go get him. We're not even going to sit down until he gets here. We're just going to stand. Because the one they're bringing, that's the next king of Israel. And so they bring David in, this little 17-year-old teenager. And they bring this 17-year-old teenager into the house. And the prophet takes one look at him and said, this is the king of Israel. And he takes the horn of oil and pours it on his head. Now, by, by this time, David, by the scriptures, has already killed a lion and a bear with his own hands. He knows God's with him. You can't do that on your own. So he's already done that. And while he's still 17, yet in a few days from this anointing, he will go and he will bring down Goliath, the captain of the host of the Philistines. All they used David for was to go fetch, go do this, trail behind his brothers, do this and do that. Now, biblical theologians, some of them say that the reason that he was treated with such disdain and marginalized by his dad was because that they believed that, the, you know, the reading between the lines of the Scripture and his behavior, Jesse's, indicates that he was actually uh, fathered by another woman. And so he was treated like that, yet Jesse was still his father. We don't know that for sure. The point is this, he wasn't even called to the meeting. So he's been rejected by his dad. He's been rejected by his own brothers. And then Israel is rejecting him because they're not accepting him as king. Because they have a king and his name is Saul. And, and, and he's ruling and reigning uh, in Israel. And so when he catches uh, the, the revelation that this is the man that God says is going to replace me, then he seeks nothing but for to kill him. Actually, he, the Spirit of the Lord has departed off of Saul because in those days, the Holy Spirit did not indwell them like they do us now. You understand we're in the Old Covenant. We're before grace has been poured out. And so the Holy Spirit had departed off of Saul. And then demons would come and torment him. The only thing that gave him any kind of peace and relief is when David would come and play and worship God in his presence and those demonic spirits would leave him. So Saul enjoyed that peace and that presence. So he hired David even though he knew this is the guy that's going to, to one day take my place if I'm not careful, but he hires him to keep the praise music going in the palace. And then there's times that David has to duck javelins coming by his head in that palace. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing story of all the events. And it's not a fairy tale. These things were happening to this real guy named David. And so then David finally... Uh, realizes that Saul's not going to relent. He's not going to let up. And David tried his best to prove to him that I'm not after you. And I will only take the throne when God gives it to me. I'm not going to take it from you. I'm not going to kill you to get it. And so one time uh, David is hiding in the cave. And David had people that recognized the anointing in God's life and called on him. And so they joined themselves to David. And they didn't care where his church was, where his leadership was. And so they're in the cave. But yet they're still with David. And so these people begin to gather. And some of them were called, you know, misfits by society. But yet they gather themselves to David. And David turns these people into mighty men and women of God. 
Now, one time they're hiding in a cave, and Saul's army is coming by, and Saul goes into this cave, this is in the Bible, to, to relieve himself, to use the bathroom. You know, they didn't have the little, you know, blue building porta potty set around in the wilderness. So he goes into this cave. Well, David's hiding in the cave with his men, and Saul is so close in the darkness of the cage that one of his men says, This is God, man. God set this up for you. Rise now and kill him and take the throne. David moves forward to Saul. Saul's there with his robe on, his kingly robe and whatever, and he's taking care of business, you know, and David cuts the hem of his robe off, cuts him a chunk of the king's garment off. Saul never knows it, and he goes on outside, and David gets clear and, and actually gets in a safe distance from him and, and, and hollers to him and says, Look, I have your garment, and I could have killed you, but I didn't. Now, why are you pursuing me with your armies? Actually, the Bible said it smote David's heart that he had done that to the king. That's a pure heart, man. David understood something about God's anointing. And it wasn't the behavior of the person. It was just that office that God had set up. And, and so then another time, the king would actually sleep, and then there would be an inner circle around that king of his most trusted people, his, his armor bearers. And so that's how they slept. And then there would be another circle and another circle and then the whole army. David made it with his men all the way to King Saul without waking any of them up. And he actually took King Saul's spear and his canteen of, of water and then able to get out of that inner circle, got back to a mountain, hollered again at him. This is, this is another time. And says, look, I have your javelin and I have your water and I could have killed you, but I didn't. Don't this prove to you that I'm not after you or your kingship. Please stop pursuing me. But for 13 years, Saul chased him in the wilderness like a dog. And finally, David realizes this guy's not going to relent. He's not going to let up. And so the Bible says that, that, that David just has had it with it. He knows that Saul's going to try to kill him. And, uh, and so what, what he did is he just, in 1 Samuel uh, uh, 71, I believe it is, he, he, he just goes and hides into the land of the Philistines. And, and he flees down to a place in the southern portion below Israel called Gath. It's actually where Goliath comes from. And uh, he finds favor there with a guy named Achish. And Achish is not the king, but he's the son of the king. And uh, so the, the, the king of Gath, he's the king of the Philistines, but his son, heir to the throne, is Achish. And he really loves David. And they really hit it off. And he finds great favor with this guy. And actually, David at this time has got 600 warriors with him. So he's got a quite an entourage with him, and that doesn't count the women and children and all this with him and their wives and so forth. And so David says, listen, man, I need a place that I can, you know, put my people. i got a lot of people. And uh, so Akish says, uh, well, I'm going to give you this city called Ziglag. I'm going to give it to you. And that you can just claim that as yours, and, and you guys can have it. So that's what David does. So Ziglag becomes his stronghold, becomes his city. And, but he's living with the Philistines. And actually, Akish says, you've been so rejected, <laughs> even by all of Israel, that you're going to be mine forever because I'm going to use you and we're going to do great damage to them. And actually, he said, we're going to go and we're going to, my dad's declaring war on Israel and you're going to go fight Israel with us. Now imagine this. Here is David, an Israelite, has been declared to be the king of Israel, and now he's going to go fight. And David was a warrior. 
I'm talking about he's round both times ten. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is a this is a warring machine, and and skilled at it. And now they're saying we're going to use you, and you're you're going to go with us to fight when we you know start fighting um, Israel. And so David says, "Yeah, I'll do it." I don't know what's going on in David. Did he really intend to do it? The Bible doesn't say, but he actually says he would do it because you know he's like they rejected me anyway. They've rejected, and so when it comes down to them going to fight Israel the next day, are y'all getting this? I'm, 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 I'm leading up to something here, but it, you need to understand something before you see what happens in a 24-hour period. When David didn't have a clue what God was doing in his life, he did not understand. And so what happens is the other captains of the guards and the Philistine warriors and the, the leaders, they said, listen, we, we're not going to war fighting with this guy. In other words, we're not going to have him on our side because we don't trust him. And we believe when the heat of the battle is on, then he's going to turn and turn his 600 soldiers on us. And so now we'll be fighting him and Israel. We're not going. And, and not only are we not going, we're going to tell you this, he better be gone by daylight in the morning because if he's not gone when the sun comes up, we're going to treat him just as we're going to treat Israel. And so Akish comes and tells him, man, you got to go. I, had, I just came from the meet, and they said they're going to kill you by daylight if you're still here. So now David has not only been rejected by his brothers, rejected by his dad, rejected by all of Israel. Now he's been rejected by the Philistines. Brother, I ain't got nobody. So now they tell him, you get out of here. And Akish says, you better go home, go back to Ziglag. So David leaves, and it takes him three days, and he's headed back to Ziglag. Now while he's, while he's making this journey, the Amalekites, another not friendly group, they attacked Ziglag, and I read it for you, and they burned it to the ground. And they took everybody captive, and they took all their wealth and all their animals and everything of value out of there, left him with nothing but ashes. And so David and his men come back to the city of Ziglag. And when they come back, this is what they find. And I read it to you. They, they, they find it burned to the ground. And uh, they, they just can't believe what they're seeing. Um, they, 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 just, they just can't believe it. And, and while this is going on, now listen, I want to pause. That's going on with that guy, David. Listen, in this same period of time, let's go back to the other guy, Saul, King Saul. You with me? Now what's going on in his life in this 24-hour period that's supposed to happen? Samuel the prophet has died. And in those days, the kings wouldn't go to war or anything until they talked to the prophets. And they would inquire and say, do we pursue them? Do we go up? Do we, you know, whatever. And they would trust that God would speak to the prophets and, and tell the king what to do. And so, but, but, but King Saul hadn't got anybody to talk to now because Samuel's dead. And this is where it's going to get a little weird. Hang with me now. But it's in the Bible, so I got permission to talk about it. It's weird to some of you. And there's a lot of varying opinions about what, what people think this means. But... Uh, So they don't know what to do. He, he, he doesn't have anybody to talk to. And uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 28, in verse 5, Saul sees the army of the Philistines and they're training and they're coming his way and he knows it's not good. And he, the Bible said he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. In verse 6, and when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. So Saul tried to talk to God, but God didn't say nothing back either by dreams or by the Urim or by prophets. I don't have time. To, 
Urim and the Thummim, if you want to talk about hearing God in the Old Covenant, they had 12 breasts. Had a, the priest wore an ephod. They had 12 stones. Each one represented a tribe of Israel. But down at the bottom were two stones. One was called the Urim, the other the Thummim. Nobody knows how that deal worked. But in, in, in they would seek God, and one of those stones would glow, they say, and they would know that that was a yes or a no. And so, but God wouldn't answer by any of it, he says, by the Urim or the, by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, listen to this, find me a woman who is a median. In other words, I'm so desperate for God, I'm going to call the 1-900-whatever-prophet hotline. i got to have a word from God. Y'all don't act like I don't know what I'm talking about. Find me a woman who is a medium, which that, Saul knows that's big time against God, but that I may go to her and inquire of her. He said, I got to have a word, man. I don't care where it comes from. And, and so he goes, uh, and they said, there's a woman down in Endor, and she's a witch, and you can go down and she'll give you a word. She'll, you know, uh, you know, you can go to her house, you know, she's got a big sign. A lot of them call themselves sister, prophet, but you can pull in and you can give some money and they give you word. It's a pretty good gig because you just make up stuff and and there's and, you know and the enemy does his thing. So Saul goes to a witch. He says, "I got to hear from God." And so he said, I miss Samuel. And she said, well, I can bring him up. Now, here's where people get, you don't hear this much in sermons. Most pastors have better sense to talk about this. <clears throat> but it's in the book, so I have license. So, so she, she uh, does a seance and conjures up Samuel, who's dead. Now, some people say, well, that wasn't really Samuel. It was Samuel. It was the real Samuel, and she brought him up. And because and when Samuel appears, uh, he's ticked off. You can read it in the scripture. He says, "Why have you brought? Why have you disturbed me?" He's not like, "Hey, man, why you brought me up, man?" He, he's not doing that. No, he's he's aggravated, and and uh, and, and he's talking to, to King Saul. Saul's looking at him. He knows that's Samuel. Samuel's looking at Saul and knows that's Saul. He said, well, how in the world could she do that? Well, she's working for the devil, and at this time, Jesus hadn't been to the cross yet, and the devil still has in charge of over the dead. That's why when Jesus died, he went to the lower parts and took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And he led those that were captive into liberty and freedom. But Satan has authority at this point because man gave it to him. And so that's why when Moses died, Satan got into an argument with, with the angel uh, over the body of Moses because he said he belongs to me because I'm in charge still. And every dead person belongs to me and their souls belong to me. You understand? So, so she's working for the enemy. She can bring him up. She brings up Samuel. Samuel's ticked off about it. He don't like her messing with him. But he don't have nothing to say because Jesus ain't came yet. He's not in torment. He's not in hell. He's just in the holding place. And, and, and so, you know, he carries on the conversation. And actually, he, uh, Saul says, you know, I'm in trouble. I can't hear God. I got to get a word from God. And, and so what Samuel says in 1 Samuel 28 and 19, uh, you know, he says this. He says, moreover, he says, the Lord will also deliver Israel 
um, with you into the hand of Philistines. And listen to this. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Brother Wishy ain't got that word. <laughs> That's what Samuel told him. He says, tomorrow you're going to be here where I'm at. You and your sons. He said, the Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Peace out. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, that was, that's the end of it. That's what happened. And so, actually, the Bible says when he heard that, it actually says that King Saul fell full backwards fell to the ground. And he, for a long time, he couldn't even move for fear. You would too. Because he knew that's the, he knew prophet don't, that, that's the truth. No matter how he knows it, he knows it. He said, tomorrow you and your son's both going to be here where I'm at. Now that shows there's hope as far as, I mean, King Saul the man. He's, he's going to be the same place Samuel is. He's not going to a different place. Okay? And it happened just as surely as Samuel said. 24 hours later, he dies in battle. And his sons perish with him. And beyond that, I, I don't have time to get into the, the whole story of all that, but that's, but that's exactly what happens. So that's, been, that's going on with, with Saul. Now, there's, there's a, a person who uh, approaches Saul who's been wounded right before he died. And uh, he asked him to thrust him through so that the Malachites wouldn't be the one to finish him off. And he actually does that. And he takes the, the crown from Saul, his kingly crown, and he takes the bracelets that signified his kingship, and he brings them to David at Ziglag. Now, go, now these two things are going on simultaneously in a 24-hour period of time. Now, I don't know if y'all track with me today, okay? But these two things are going on simultaneously, unbeknownst to the other one. Uh, at this point, it'll be five days after Saul is killed in battle before David even knows it. And so when those men see, David and his men see Ziglag and their wives and everything they have fought for is gone, uh, they wept till they didn't have any strength to weep anymore. And David's crying with them. He's, he's, he's in anguish. You ever been there? And, and, and so we're, we're, I'm ending where we started, but, so, but David, uh, he's, he's feeling the pain of everybody else too. And kind of the blame probably more as leader because he led them away. And now look what happened. And, and I want to say to you, right there in this moment, David don't have a clue what's going on in his life, and he can't see any good out of any of this. All he can see is bad. And he's been rejected by everybody. And, and he, only, he only has this bunch here that's been hanging with him. And then when they see this, they're hurting. So hurting people hurt people. So now they start speaking out of their hurt. And now they start hurting him. And, and, and they, they're, they're talking about let's just kill the guy. Stoning him wasn't meant let's bruise him up a bit. They were like, we want to kill him. It's your fault. And, uh, and so then it says this. Uh, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now, have you ever had to strengthen yourself? I'm talking, your wife didn't do it, your husband didn't do it, your kids didn't do it, the pastor didn't do it, 
The elders didn't do it. They didn't nobody do it. The TV preacher didn't do it. Reader's Digest didn't do it. They did nothing to do it for you. You had to strengthen yourself in the Lord. I, I, I don't know. Have you ever had to do that? Now, see, there are some of us that feel like that we can't get our praise on unless the praise team pumps us up. We can't really get to praising until the second or third song. We've got to knock the cobwebs off the first one. Some of us don't feel like we can even hear God unless it's song. No, no. In, in that moment, David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now listen, just please don't miss this. David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now, I'm going to speak to that in a minute. But you go, well, how did he do that? I believe the Bible shows us how he did it. And then it says this, and then David inquired of the Lord. Now, here's one little gold nugget I want to leave with you. And I'm telling you this is the truth. You need to trust me, but it's in the book. Don't go and inquire of the Lord until you've strengthened yourself in the Lord. Now, what a lot of people do is they mess up. They're hurting so bad. And in that bitterness and that anguish and that confusion and in that hurt, they go talking to God. But they're not really praying to God for an answer. They're just complaining to God about their circumstances. And a lot of times what they get is not coming back. It's not, it's not from the Lord because they don't have any faith in him. In that moment, they're upset with him. So what one principle you need to learn is before you inquire of the Lord, strengthen yourself in God himself. And how did David do it? Have you ever read a book called the Psalms? Now, they're not all written by David, but many of them are. And there are psalms in the, in the book of Psalms that when David was in the cave of Adullam, there's things that he wrote in this moment that he sung to himself at Ziglag when he was in that bitter moment. This is how David strengthened himself. We forget the power of praise and focus and determination to get our eyes off of what we can see and on what we can't see in the natural but in the spirit, our God, and start focusing upon him and his goodness. Now, we've all had times, you've got to have times, and I guess this is kind of me the biggest deal with this. It's so sad for me for people to live and for anybody to live uh, with the thought that your life is just haphazard. It's just like a ping pong ball in the lotto machine just bouncing off of one another and it has no rhyme or reason to it. It's just, it's just reaction to things that's hitting you. But if you look over your life and you look back on your life, you've got to see where God has intervened in your life and God has been there for you and God has changed the course and destiny of things in your life. And if he ever did it one time, if you could just look back and find where God ever messed with you one time, then that's your proof that he's never going to take his fingerprints off of you. If God's ever put his hand in your life, if he's ever intervened in your life, if he's ever directed your life, spoke to you, helped you, talked to you, comforted you, encouraged you, then God's with you right now in this moment that you find yourself in now. God's with you right now. He's not left you. He's not abandoned you. He's not forsaken you. He's not quit on you. And this is how David strengthened himself. He said, listen to me. Man, when I was a teenager, God sent the prophet to my house. I didn't go to the prophet's house. He came to my house. My daddy didn't call me to the meeting, but the prophet made him go fetch me and bring me from them little handfuls of sheep. It wasn't me that killed the lion and the bear by myself. I can't get this far without some help up in here. God helped me kill the lion, and God helped me kill that bear. 
And if I doubted all of that, I know I didn't kill that big old nine-foot Goliath by myself with a slingshot. I know my father helped me guide that rock right up there in his forehead. I know that had to be God. I know I'm saved. I know I ain't got this far by myself. I know God's got his hand on me. I know God hadn't forsaken me. I know God's still with me. I know God's still for me. God's still got a plan for my life. God's still got a purpose for my life. I'm not going to lay down and die right now. I'm not going to quit right now. I know God's going to do something in my life. I know he ain't going to leave me like this. He ain't called me this far to turn me loose now. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I know that I got a, that God's got a plan for me. Man, when you start thinking like that, there ain't no kind of battle. There's no circumstances that can keep you locked up. But you're going to have to learn in those moments of zigzag, burned everything, that this, this, ain't, this ain't the final chapter. The sitcom ain't over. <laughs> the story don't end here. I'm still breathing. God got a plan. I don't understand. I'm confused, and I can't see no good at all coming out of this. And this hurts like hell, but I know. God's still with me. I know that God's still for me. I know he's going to cause all these things to work together for my good. God's going to bring something out of this that's going to be better than what I can see right now. I'm telling you, that's the truth. It's just not some pep talk. It's the truth. So many times in my life, I've seen God turn things around. Oh, in the moment. Man, I'm confused. How many times have I said to my wife, to my God, and to anybody with this, I don't understand. I just don't understand. And, 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 and I still can catch myself doing that. But what you've got to do is don't say, I don't understand. You have to go back in moments that you don't understand and say what you do understand. This is what I do understand. And I've had to tell myself this so many times. And one of the best talks you'll ever get is talking to yourself. Talk to that man or woman in the mirror. Now, you got to say, listen, you got to get a hold of yourself. Now, this is you talking about all that you don't know, don't understand? Got that, okay. If we're going to put in, the, you know, we're going to stack up this pile of what we don't know and don't understand, that's going to always be bigger than the pile that we do know and do understand. But it's not more powerful. The little pile's more powerful. This is what I do know. This, this is how I have to do all these years. This, this, I've got to hear so many times, okay, this is what I do know. This is what I know. I know I'm saved. And I'm out of all that religious mess that tells me I can lose it like a dropping a penny out of my pocket. I'm saved and I can't do nothing about it. Because <laughs> Jesus did it and I can't screw it up. So I'm saved, eternally saved. I'm eternally forgiven. I'm eternally his. And I ain't worried about it. And I ain't going to listen to no preacher or nobody else try to convince me otherwise because the Bible tells me that I'm born again and I'm born by the Spirit. Nobody can take me from my Father. So if this thing goes worst case scenario, I just go home to daddy. What can man do to me? Nothing. So if we're going to go worst case scenario, I'm still going to win because I'm going home with papa. You know, hey man, you might die and go to heaven. Oh, really? <laughs> 
Really? Streets of gold, no pain, no sorrow. See, see my dad. See my, my family. Really? <laughs> Pray for me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Ain't no losing in this that we in. But God's got a plan. David didn't know what it was. So David says, he strengthened himself, and then he inquired. And what he's inquiring, like, no, God, why didn't you let this happen? None of that. He just says, do I go after him or not? That's the only question he's inquiring. Do I pursue him or not? God, man, that's my boy right there. He says, pursue him. Pursue him. So David says, I know y'all having your killing meeting, but put your, put, drop the stones right now. Y'all kill me later. But we finna go get our wives and our children and all our stuff back. And so David heads out to pursue him. Now, this is all in the Bible. But as they head out into the desert to pursue they don't know where they're at. They ain't got a clue. Be anywhere 360 around. Ain't got a clue which direction. They just head out into the wilderness. This where are they at? I don't know, but we've got to move from here. They're not here, so let's go. And in the desert, they find an Egyptian slave dying. He's so weak, he can't even talk. He needs water and food. So they give him water and food. And, and they said, who are you? He said, I'm an Egyptian. The Amalekites attacked us. I'm the only one left, you know, to, to survive. David said, do you know where they're at? He said, I know exactly where they're at. He said, can you lead me to where they are? He said, yeah, I can lead you. But if you promise not to kill me when, you, when I show you, because they'll surely kill me. David said, you'll not be killed. So they get the brother strengthened up. He leads them right to him. Now they go to cross and he shows them where they are and they got to cross uh, th this river. David's men, these 600 men are so exhausted that 200 of them tell David they don't have the strength to even cross that river. David didn't call them names. He didn't treat them ugly. He just said, stay here with the supplies. He said, I'm down to 400 brothers. Let's cross this river and go take care of business. And they cross the river and they pursue them. And now while all this has been going on, the Malachites have been burning and pillaging and stealing everything everywhere they went. So not only do they got David's stuff, they got everybody else's stuff. When David takes them, they don't, they don't lose one thing, not one person, nor one penny. Not only do they get all their stuff back, they get all the bounty that they stole from all these other Pope, and so they just got paid and got blessed. And what David does with that is he sends wagon loads of that to all the 12 tribes of Israel. And just says, we, you know, dividends have come in on your stock. We just want to send the blessings of God on your way. I'm, that, that, uh, that made them, you know, want to say, we better give this guy a second thought for kingship. You see what I'm saying? All, that's all real. It all happened. And all that that looked so bad, he, he, all that wealth, he used it for the next uh, 12 years to finance him until he actually made it to Jerusalem, to Israel, to actually be the king of all the, the, the 12 tribes. Not just Judah, but all of them. God has an amazing plan. I remember when I got, was called into the ministry. I thought it was just going to be like a fairy tale. You know, God's called you, he's chosen, blah, blah, whatever. But it, I realized quick it wasn't. And I, don't, and I mean no disrespect or disarm. I'm saying God's in charge of our lives if we release that charge to him. He's not in charge of what's going on in this world. But to the degree that you can yield yourself to him, he's in charge of you. And you need to encourage yourself in that. So I remember God had called me to preach. And so just the other day, just a few weeks ago, I, I, I didn't know I was on that road. And I was near Dublin, Georgia. 
and I was riding by this road, and I looked, and I saw a church. And the church really meant something to me. I'd only been there one time. But it was the first church that the denomination I was in sent me because they wanted me to be the pastor of that church. And so we were living our lives to, to, to be that moving, roving pastor. We were living with two children in a little two-bedroom apartment so that we could quickly load up the rider truck. You know what I'm saying? And go do God's business. I was still a paramedic and still doing all that stuff. But So the, 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 the overseer in charge sent me and my wife my little kids, we went up there and drove all the way up there on a Thursday night, met with the people, you know, they talked to us, they wanted to interview me, stuff, whatever, and uh, anyway, long story real short, uh, we got a, you know, they called me later and said that we got a 100% vote to go, they want us as pastor. Boy, I felt so much pressure to take that first assignment, you know, and uh, the overseer told me that was on Thursday, so I'm going to call you Sunday afternoon to get your answer. On Saturday night, God gave me a clear dream. Thank God for God intervening in our lives. And God told me very clearly, don't take that church. I said, don't do it. So when that overseer called me Sunday afternoon, I said, I won't be taking the church. I feel like the Lord spoke to me to, to not to do that. But I appreciate the, the opportunity and I appreciate the offer and confidence. I, I would have thought that, you know, that would have kind of, you know, been a nice conversation. But it wasn't. And so the first remarks back were, well, I tell you what, that would have been a great start for a young man like you. And as long as I'm overseer, I will never offer you a church ever again. What do you say to that? This is supposed to be the person that's a leader over you. It hurt. I cried. I didn't understand. I thought, well, maybe that's just a nut. You know, two years later, he's out. Another one comes in. By the way, I had never went and asked anybody for a church in the first place. You trying to give me something I ain't even asked for. So then another overseer comes along, and he wants to send me to another city. I started to name I don't want to name the cities. It has nothing to do with that. But I had never been to that city. It was in southeast Georgia, uh, not too far from there. He called me on a Friday afternoon. My wife knows all this is true. He said, I want you to be there Sunday morning as the pastor. I'm setting you in. Be there Sunday morning. I got a house at that point that I got to sell. I got a job I got to quit. I got three little mouths to feed besides my wife. You know, I got some responsibility here. I mean, this ain't like knee-jerk, shun-die, untie my bow tie, shoot a mosquito. Speak in tongues, get the gun thing. I mean, I'm like, whoa. I said, can I just go up there Sunday morning? I'll be glad to. And I'll go preach. But can I have just a little time to pray, seek the Lord, and make sure this is what God wants me to do? Here comes the answer from the other end. No, you can't go up there and just do that. I told my wife you wasn't ready to pastor. You won't never quit that chief's job you got. You care more about what the church can do for you than what you can do for the church. I tell you what, I'm never going to offer you another church again. I, you're not even emotionally prepared to pastor. I'm making none of that up. Ain't, am I telling the truth, babe? Now, while he's, while he's trimming my limbs... I'm crying. Now, my wife is sitting there while I'm on the phone. She sees the tears rolling. She can't hear, but she's, I mean, he, brother is, the brother is chopping me up. These are people you hold in high esteem. These are people that are over you in the Lord. These are people that are supposed to be shepherds to care over you. This brother's cutting me every which way. 
So then I go through, you know, and then he, he hangs up. It wasn't like, i see you later, brother Dale. I mean, it was like, I'm done with you. And I'm thinking, then I start turning that light. I said, I must, there must be something weird wrong with me, man. Two of these brothers done all up all with my Kool-Aid. I mean, I must be, I must be like something. I must be flawed. I must got something wrong with me. So I go a few days, I'm hurting, I'm crying, I'm weeping. And I know you ain't like this, so y'all just pray for me. But then all my hurt turns into anger. Then I have thoughts like, I just drive up there and kick his hind in. <laughs> I know you don't think like that, but I did. Now, you know, that's back when I was young and immature, you know. I just really wanted to go up and roll on the carpet with him. But listen here, man, I'm grown. I'm a grown man. You don't talk to me like that. You know I just want to get, I just want to go off on it. So it turns to anger. And then I realize that's wrong. And then I, and, and so I start praying the prayers. Lord, I forgive him. You know, God, forgive him for he know not what he do. And all them prayers. And then one day, a person that worked in that office that was over the evangelist, which I was considered to be an evangelist, he said, I want to take you to lunch. Okay, we went to lunch. So he's, this had been months later, months later. He brings it up. He says, I heard about what happened with you and the brother, you know, how he talked, you know, it kind of got a little rough. And I, I heard, and I said, I said, well, yeah, yeah, it did. But I said, I'm over it. I mean, you know, got to do what you got to do, man. Let's move on. So, so he starts digging in it a little bit. And, and I know you're going to think it's weird, but so, so all of a sudden I hear myself talking to him about that hurt. And I know it gets weird here, but it was really almost like in my mind I saw a video, and it's like, you know, that guy's over here, that leader in the church. I'm sitting across the table, and then it was like I was over here watching me. And all I'm hearing coming out of me is bitterness and poison and anger and hurt. And I felt like the Lord said to me, I thought you said you forgave him. And then I got scared because I thought I had. You ever thought you'd forgiven somebody and you was past it and then you saw them and you wasn't? And then the Lord's like, I thought you forgave him. That don't sound like a guy that's been forgiven to me. So then I went home that day. This honest God truth, I went straight home and I went right into to my prayer room. I had a prayer room built. And I went right in that prayer room and I just was just scared. Because I said, if I thought I forgave him and I didn't, and it's obviously I didn't, and I thought I did, then I'm, I don't even know what's right no more. I, how do you know when you, I don't even know. And I was just laying there, and God knows how simple I am, and I need pictures. I like books with pictures, okay? And so what I saw in my mind was a big onion, a big onion, huge, you know. And I, and I heard myself saying, Lord, I forgive him, talking about that overseer. I forgive him, Lord, I forgive him. And I saw a hand go in in this video, and I, I started peeling layers, just peeling layers away. Every time I had called that man's name in prayer, layers went away. Now, this ain't God forgiving us. This is me forgiving that dude for what he did to me. And so what God showed me was that huge big old onion was now about the size of a golf ball. But they were still a little bit left. And the Lord said, keep with it, son. And I said, Lord, it breaks my heart because you forgive me everything. I want to be able to forgive him. He said, just keep doing it. Just keep forgiving him. And every time you say, Lord, I forgive him, he said, I want you to know I reach my hand in. And before long, he said, because sometimes hurts are so deep and so many layers to those hurts, it takes a little while. Not for you. I mean, not for me, but for you it does. So just keep talking to me about it.
And every time you do, I want you to know that more of that's going away. And before long, there'll be no onion. There'll be nothing to make you cry, nothing to bother you no more. It'll all be gone because it's you forgiven, not God forgiving you. Amen. Can you receive that? Now, listen, I got I to end this. But so, so I remember all that hurt and all those years, I didn't understand it. Time goes on. I preached in that denomination as an evangelist for six years. God calls me to start a church in a little town called Sparks. March the 10th of 91, I started it. Just a little, little fella starting out with nothing, no experience, but I had God. Now, a lot of people got really mad with me when I started the church. There were some that got really glad and some got really mad. I didn't have no posse, didn't have no group, didn't have no disgruntled group. I didn't even advertise, I didn't invite nobody, not even my own parents did I invite. I let everybody make their own decision. And you know how folk love to talk. The people that love to talk did my advertising for free before Facebook. And on my first Sunday, there was 42 people there. And I didn't know where all they'd come from, but they were sitting in those little metal chairs, and we started. About a year later, exactly, exactly one year later, in the month of March of 92, I was invited by David Oaks, Pastor David Oaks from Moultrie, Georgia, to go to a church that he was pastoring. He asked me to bring my youth team, and I led their youth in those days and pastored too. And we had a big little drama team that was pretty good for our little church, and that word had got out. He wanted me to bring our drama team to do a drama too before that guy preached. He, had, he was having a revival. So I did that. I have no part in the service. I didn't introduce the drama. I never even took my position to the platform. I had probably about uh, 40 of our people that went with me that night, parents of the youth and so forth. The pastor introduces a guy. His name was Bishop Jim Dutton. He's still alive. And, Bishop, if you're watching on Facebook, I love you, bro, in Augusta, Georgia. And um, I'd never heard of him. I thought he was a mighty sharp dresser, man. He Remember that night he had on some black and white shoes, you know, and black and white suit. That brother was tight. I mean, he was dressed. And uh, I never met him. He walked up to the pulpit, and he says, uh, he just stood there a minute, and he says, uh, sir, stand up. And he called me out. Now, remember all that had happened. Now, some, a lot of you in here have actually heard the recording of that prophecy, and I have it. One of the, the dearest words I've ever gotten from God. But all I'm going to talk about is just one little phrase out of it. One of the things that God said to me is here, this prophet, Bishop Jim Dutton, is used by God to speak to me that night before my people. And this is one thing that God said. God said that even though I used the denomination that you were in in the past to bring you out of the world, that denomination can no longer carry you into the place that I have destined for you to go. For I used men to bring you out that I might bring you in to this thing that I have declared unto thee. And you along with them, you shall find brethren that shall be brethren indeed. And you shall together with them come into this new thing that I have declared unto thee. And God let me know then. Remember all them years ago, buddy, when them, when them men were trimming you up and you was crying and you didn't know what was going on? That was my zigzag kind of. That was me. I used men to bring you out. Sometimes I got to get you out before I can bring you in to what I've declared for you. And sometimes there's things that God's brought you out of, not just to bring you out and leave you out, but to bring you out of that so that he can bring you into what he's promised you, into the life that he's promised you, into the marriage that he's promised you, into the relationship that he's promised you, into the job and the career that he's promised you, into the finances that he's promised you. That's what God's done. And sometimes bringing you out is kind of painful. 
But we all don't want no baby to stay in. But to get them out, it's kind of bloody and messy. But they've been brought out so that we can bring them in. And there's God's birthing something in your life. There's things that you don't understand that's going on in your life. There's somebody I know I'm talking to today. And if it ain't you today, it will be you another day. Because we all relate to this. I told my little wife yesterday, I said, and sometimes I feel like this, and this may, you know, kind of deflate you a little bit. I know you think God beams down to me, you know, every night and speaks to me and tells me what to preach, but it just really ain't that way with nobody. You know, there's times I know that I know that I know. And then there's times that I just don't know. And yesterday I had two messages. They're both wonderful. I have just preached one of them to you. But I said, Jill, and actually before I went in there, I was standing there in, in my bathroom. I said, Lord, you know I want to do your thing, man. I want to do what you want me to do. Always. Always have. You know me. And I'm just kind of like six, one, half a dozen other kind of deal, God. I don't know which sermon to preach. They're both, you know, good. But I want the one that you want the people to hear tomorrow. Not just one that I pick, because I don't even think I'm smart enough to pick. I know you are. And you know who needs to hear what tomorrow. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to go in there and ask Sister Jill which one of these messages that she would like to hear tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm going to trust you that you will guide her. And, you know, unless you say something different, we're going to kind of go on now. Okay, how's that? You know, I, I didn't hear anything. But so I go in the kitchen where she was, and I said, baby, I said, I'm kind of stuck, man. I got two sermons. I don't know which one to preach tomorrow. I said, so I'm going to tell you one. I said, one of them, you know, I've had a lot of people write and question me about, you know, why is the narrow gate so narrow? And why is the straight and narrow is the way and few there be that find it? And, you know, that, that's, those scriptures seem to really trouble people. And so I want to talk about that and kind of help them. And, uh, and I said, and she said, what's the other one? I said, the other one's like, you know, trusting God when you don't understand. She said, preach that one. I said, why didn't you tell you what I'm going to talk about? She said, title's enough. Preach that one. I said, okay, I'll preach that one. And I went straight into my place of prayer. She knows and stayed there, you know, to 9 o'clock or whatever it was last night. And back in there today to just to know, God, what do you want these people to hear? Listen, God's got a plan for you. I know you don't understand no more than I understood that. And I know as far as what David went through, that was insignificant. But David didn't lose anything. You can never lose anything that you've given to God. Job didn't lose anything. As the Bible says, you got twice. How can you get twice if you lost the first round? You don't lose in this. This is eternal. You don't lose in this. Well, I lost my husband. No, you didn't lose your husband. We didn't lose my dad. We know right where he is. He's having the best time ever. We lose the moment to be with him here. On that way by that church, I'm just as human as the rest of you. I saw that church and all those memories came flooding back. And I said, God, even back then, as painful as that was, you had a plan for my life. And whatever you've gone through and whatever you're facing and whatever you're going through, God's got a plan for your life. Do you receive it? Do you believe it? Would you stand to your feet and give him praise for it? Amen. God bless you. God bless you. I wonder if I could get some of the ministry team, prayer team up here, uh, our elders, wives up, just in case there's somebody that 
would love for us to pray with them today. We'll be honored to do that. We always are. I never get tired of this, you know. Um, I really do believe in, in preaching people to a decision, to a place, to a point, to a person. And uh, we just want you to know as elders of, of Grace Point that we're here to serve you. And, uh, you know, we're not in no big hurry to eat chicken. We, we can get there when we get there, okay. But, but we do release the people. We do that. We just love you. We value your time. We honor your time. And, uh, but we want to pray for you. So you're never bothering us, is what I'm trying to say, when you come up here. And we're glad to, to pray with you. We're not going to get into our counseling conversation. You know, we'll schedule that for next week and you can come back and we'll do that. But we'll pray with you. We'll agree with you. And we'll, we'll allow God to use the gifts of the Spirit that he's placed within us. And uh, we have that privilege and that responsibility as elders to care for the flock that God's given us. I love these elders. I appreciate them so much. And uh, so if you want prayer, I'm going to dismiss the church as I pray here. And uh, But, you know, don't just dash out and run over nobody getting out. But, <laughs> you know, shake some hands. Especially look around, man. If you see new people, and we've got new people coming all the time. We do honor you for coming. We, 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 we want you to come. Hey, my people, Grace Point, God's people, if you think there's anything of value going on here, then would you please tell somebody about it? Tell them on Facebook, invite them, bring them. I mean, let's just make me have to preach two, three times on Sunday. I'm cool with that. I would love to have to have three services to minister to everybody. I would love to have to have a Saturday night service to, to preach to people. And What about that? Wouldn't that be weird you just come to church one time a week on Saturday night? Oh, I go to Walmart on Saturday. I know you do. You know, we don't want to mess up your worship. We don't want to mess up the worship at the Walmart. You know, it's not about a time. It's not really about a place, but it's about a person. It's about our hearts turned to him, encouraging one another. Man, I, some of you I know has got some really big trials. One reason, sometimes you wonder why, why was... Why am we, you know, a little bit later, this coming in? But, you know, as soon as I walked in the building, I had somebody that doesn't even go to church here. They're probably listening to me. Uh, I really don't even know exactly where they live, but, you know, sending an urgent prayer request to me through message. And I was sitting in my office communicating with them about a person that's in life or death situation in ICU. I mean, that's worth a few minutes. I'm still hearing that first song come through my speaker in my office anyway. That's cool. But, I'm, you know, but somebody's hurting. Somebody's needing some prayer, needing some help. We can all do that. Amen. And uh, love you, Father. Please let these precious people know that you still got a plan for their lives. And if they don't understand, that's okay. But what they do understand is they're born of the Spirit, claimed eternally by you. You'll never forsake them. You'll never abandon them. You'll never leave them. Let them know, God, even when Ziglag is burned to the ground, God, they still shall recover all. God, you are still going to do amazing things for their life that this is not the final day or the final chapter. So just like what you did for David, you've done that for David, and you'll do that for every one of us. For we're sons of David. We're part of that priestly, royal priesthood that you've called us to. We give you praise, honor, and glory. Thank you for the plan and purposes. Ask him, say, Lord, pour out your spirit. In your name, by your name. And not just for me, not just for mine, not just for my household, but more, more, more enough. Help us to live in the overflow this morning.
Say 